If you're new here this morning, my name is Brent Smith. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central, and uh, we're certainly glad that you've joined us. I've got a bit of a cold this morning, but it's February, so chances are you probably do as well. So we'll, we'll battle through it together. So if you haven't been uh, here for the last month or so, uh, each week we've been looking at a different aspect of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, who He is, what does He do. Uh, we've looked at what it means to be born by the Spirit, uh, baptism and filling with the Spirit. Um, last week, uh, Gary spoke about the Spirit of Sonship, our adoption into God's family. And now uh, we'll just flow on uh, from there, uh, because this morning I want to at least help in answering the question, now what? So I've been born by the Spirit, I've been adopted, I've received the Spirit of Sonship. What does life look like now? And really, from here on in the series, uh, we'll be looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in the day-to-day living out of our lives. And what's amazing about the work of the Holy Spirit is that He doesn't just come at conversion and we're born anew and we're adopted as God's children. What's amazing is is that He stays, right? And we, and we live life with Him dwelling in us. Romans 8 says that if anyone belongs to Christ, He has the Spirit dwelling in Him. So if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And it's amazing because it's the Holy Spirit with us in our everyday lives. And we'll see this morning uh, that He's not just dwelling in us with His feet up and relaxing. He's at work in us. Every day, the Holy Spirit is at work in us, not just at special times, although uh, sometimes we're more aware of His work in us, and not just in special places. Uh, The Holy Spirit is at work uh, every day, and that's great because the majority of our life isn't spent in in a room like this, where we're worshiping God and we're hearing from the Word. The majority of our life is spent teaching a class, or running wire, or nursing the sick, or chasing after children. The majority of our life is spent in those areas, and so it's amazing that the Holy Spirit is every day working in our lives. The Holy Spirit is extraordinarily every day, okay? The Holy Spirit is extraordinarily every day. He empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus. He gives gifts, Uh, but this morning... We want to look at the Holy Spirit's work in our life to make us holy. So our title this morning is The Holy Spirit and a Holy You. And it will be a bit of a a two-parter with Joe picking things up next week along the same lines, uh, just to give you a a heads up. So I remember walking out of the theater uh, after watching the first Lord of the Rings movie and a guy was violently angry about the way that it ended because he didn't understand that it was part of a trilogy, okay? So, if things end a bit like the Fellowship of the Ring this morning, you'll know that Joe's coming next week to help things uh, finish off, okay? So, the Holy Spirit and a holy you. So, first thing I want us to look at is why did God save us? Why did God regenerate us by His Spirit? Why did He justify us? Why did He forgive our sin? 
Why did he adopt us as children? What's according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so we see in verse 6 that he saved us to the praise of his glorious grace. He saved us so that we can praise his great grace on our life more and more and more and more. We've been saved to be worshipers of God, to live a life of worship, praising his glorious grace. But when we look at verse 4, we also see that God saved us not just to praise his glorious grace. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be what? Holy and blameless. That we should be holy and blameless. So another very important, very biblical answer to the question, why did God save me, is that he saved you to be holy. So this is where we say, whoa, hold up. Okay, because we'd much rather talk about God saved me to be a worshiper and I want to worship and praise his glorious grace. And to that we say, hallelujah, that's what we did this morning. We praise his glorious grace. His grace is abundant on our life and it's worthy of praise. But then we get we see verse four and we start to get into some maybe uncharted territory or at least some uncomfortable territory when we talk about God saved me to live a holy and blameless life. We hear praise his glorious grace and we're we're fine, but we hear he saved me to live a holy and blameless life and things might start to get a little uneasy. Okay? Maybe for a number of reasons. Maybe we don't really understand how God's grace and us being justified by faith line up with living a holy life. Uh, maybe because worshiping God sounds easy to us and living a holy and blameless life sounds like it might involve some pain and maybe some sacrifice and it might be a little difficult. Maybe we just have a distorted view of what holiness looks like. Maybe our view of holiness is a very somber kind of high, pious walk where the person reads you know, eight chapters of the Bible a day and prays for six hours, and uh, the only really enjoyment in life is crocono, but not on Sundays, and they've got a side part and the top button on their shirt done up, right? They're like hipsters without the hip part. So whatever reason, oftentimes when we hear holiness, we get a little uneasy about it, and so maybe we just kind of ignore it a bit, and in many respects, holiness is kind of like the ugly stepchild of God's plan of salvation, and we'll just kind of put it in the corner and ignore it, okay? And just kind of carry on with our lives. But if we read the Bible, we can't ignore it, because far from just being a one-off here in Ephesians 1, the New Testament reminds us of this over and over and over again, that as Christians we should be pursuing a very practical, evident holiness in our day-to-day lives. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 says, But as he called you, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And 2 Timothy 1, 9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, in verse 3, we read, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's, that's a word meaning you're pursuing holiness, you're growing in holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's fairly strong language concerning our need and God's will for us to pursue holy living. We are to control our bodies in holiness and honor. He has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God's will is for us to be sanctified. So God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And J.I. Packer says, he says, in reality, holiness is the goal of our redemption. As Christ died in order that we may justify, be justified, so we are justified in order that we may be sanctified and made holy. Holiness is the goal of our redemption. Okay? But as important as it is that we know why God called us to be holy, we also need to understand the place of holiness in our life. And this is where a lot of confusion uh, can sometimes come in and even uh, um, make people feel apathetic towards the pursuit of holiness or get... Uh, confused about the pursuit of holiness. We need to understand holiness in its proper place. So if we don't understand the place of holiness, everything that I say this morning, everything that Joe says next week is basically a wash, okay? So if you're going to listen and give me 10 minutes, give me the next 10 minutes, okay? Because we need to understand the place of holiness in our lives. To do that, we'll look at Romans 6. If you want to flip over to Romans 6. Romans 6. The whole chapter really helps us to see the place of holiness in our life. But we'll, we'll just read one verse right near the end. Romans six twenty-two says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Okay, so the first thing we see is that sanctification, our pursuit of holiness, is not primary. By that I mean it's not the first thing. Okay, sanctification comes after we have been justified before God. We have been set free from the debt of sin, from the guilt of sin, leading to sanctification. So God, through our faith in Jesus, removes the guilt of our sin, gives us Christ's righteousness, declares us righteous in his sight. That's justification. Hallelujah. We've been declared righteous in the sight of God. The guilt, the shame of our sin has been removed. And it happens before we could make one minuscule step toward the pursuit of holiness. Okay, it happens before we could make one step towards holiness. We've been justified 
in God's sight. It comes by us looking to the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and believing in him for our salvation. So first, justification. Sin, forgiven, righteousness, declared. Okay? Then, sanctification. Sin, conquered, righteousness, pursued. Okay? First, justification. Then, we can pursue holiness. In John Wesley's hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, he wrote, God breaks the power of canceled sin. The sin has been canceled, and because it's been canceled, it can be conquered. Because the sin has been canceled, it can be conquered, and we can live holy lives. But oftentimes, the way we approach our walk with God isn't He breaks the power of canceled sin, it's He forgives the guilt of, con- of conquered sin, right? And so we're trying to conquer sin. We're trying to get ourselves in good standing with God. If I can just get over this, if I can just get this sin conquered, then God will approve me. Then God will love me. Then I'll have God's acceptance, right? And so if we wrote the hymn, it wouldn't be he breaks the power of canceled sin. It would be he removes the guilt of conquered sin. I just got to beat this sin and then God will forgive me. And then I'll be in good standard with God. Gary would file that under orphan thinking if you were here uh, for Gary's talk last week. That's not understanding the character of God and how he works. Okay? Instead, it's because we've been justified, we can be sanctified. Because our sin has been canceled, it can be conquered. Because we've been declared holy, we can pursue holiness. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, not Paul Bunyan, the giant lumberjack, (laughs) but John Bunyan uh, wrote in his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, which is probably the greatest title of an autobiography ever written, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, uh, he says this, one day as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul, thy righteousness is in heaven. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And it seemed to me that I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness, so that wherever I was and whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, He lacks my righteousness, for that was just in front of Him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loosed from my afflictions and irons. My temptations also fled away. So from that time, those dreadful scriptures of God left off to trouble me. Now I also went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. He saw his righteousness in Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Okay, so not only is justification first, but it's the reason that we can be sanctified. When John Bunyan saw that his righteousness was in Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, then his temptations fled away. Sanctification flows from our being justified before God. So to line it up with our talks from the previous weeks, we can't grow and mature unless we're first born. Okay, with Gary's talk last week, we're not 
were adopted, and then we take on the family traits, okay? So John and Lisa, they adopted Nala and Ruby. They didn't adopt Nala and Ruby because Nala and Ruby had the family traits of a Robertson, right? They adopted Nala and Ruby, and now they will take on the family traits of Lisa and John, okay? Adoption, and then we take on the family traits. We're born, and then we grow. We're justified, and then we're sanctified. There's John. Hey. So holiness is not primary. But we also see in Romans 6 and in many other places that it also isn't optional. It's not primary, but it's not optional either. Romans 6, 22 says the end of sanctification is eternal life. It's not something that can be pushed to the side. It's not primary, but it's not optional. A Christian doesn't become a Christian justified by faith and then say, you know what, pursuing holiness isn't really my thing. I don't, I don't think I'll really take part in that part of the gospel message, okay? Pursuing holiness is not the lemon chicken at the diplomat buffet that you can just pass over if you don't feel like having it, okay? It's a package deal, okay? So some people elevate holiness to a place it was never meant to be. I've got to get this sin conquered so God will forgive me, accept me, love me. Others reduce holiness to a nice add-on for Christians who want a gold star beside their name in the book of life. Okay? That's not how it works. It's not primary, but it's not optional. And the Bible makes it clear over and over again of that fact. And in fact, it gives some fairly intense warnings for those who do think of pursuing holiness in this way. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hebrews 12, 14, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It should be something we are striving for. We're not perfect. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about striving in holiness. We're pursuing holiness. James says in James 2, 14, that faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So we're justified by faith and faith alone, but the faith that justifies us is never alone, right? We're justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies us is never alone. And there are many, many more verses that impress that importance on us. So pursuing holiness is not primary, but neither is it optional. And perhaps a good way of picturing it is that justification is the root and sanctification is the fruit. Faith is the root. Holiness is the fruit. Without the root, you do not have any fruit on a tree. But without any fruit, the tree is useless. And Paul says in Galatians 5 that the only thing that counts for anything isn't just faith, but faith working through love. The only thing that counts for anything is faith working through love. So our faith is a faith that works. So it's important to note, as I just said, that we're not talking about perfection. When I say holiness, don't say perfection in your mind, okay? We're talking not about perfection. We're talking about obedience. 1 John says that if anyone says he 
is without sin, he's a liar. So we're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about growing in holiness, pursuing holiness, striving for holiness, obedience in following Jesus, in pursuing holiness, and obedience in repentance and confession when we fall. So holiness isn't about perfection. It's about obedience in pursuing holiness and confessing and repenting when we fall. So holiness as Christians, it's a bit like a track that we're running on, okay? Our justification is behind us. That's already happened. We're not running toward our justification. The guilt of our sin has been removed. God sees us as righteous. And because of that, we now run, okay? Our pursuit of holiness is not primary, but it's not optional. Our justification is behind us, and now we run on the track of holiness. We don't run the race trying with our best efforts to be a runner. God has declared us a runner, so now we run. Right? We're not running and saying, oh, I'm going to be a runner, I'm going to be a runner. No, our name's written in the registration for the marathon. If we look down, we've got the white racing bib on our chest. We've been made runners. Now we run. So really living a life A holy life is just living out what God has already made us. And Kevin DeYoung summarizes our whole pursuit of holiness like this. Be who you are. Be who you are. And then he goes on to say, that may sound strange, almost heretical, given our culture's emphasis on being true to yourself. But like so many of the worst heirs of the world, this one represents a truth powerfully perverted. When people say, relax, you were born that way, or quit trying to be something you're not and just be the real you, they're stumbling upon something that is very biblical. God does want you to be the real you. He does want you to be true to yourself. But the you that he is talking about is the you that you are by grace, not by nature. God doesn't say, relax, you were born this way. But he does say, good news, you were reborn another way. Good news, you were reborn another way. And I will add to that, good news as well. You're not alone. You've been reborn another way and the Holy Spirit is with you to help you. The Holy Spirit is with you to help you. Good news, you're not alone. Good news, you've been reborn another way. The Bible makes it clear that the agent in our holiness is not ourselves, but the Holy Spirit living in us. The agent in our holiness is not ourselves, but the Holy Spirit living in us. 1 Peter 1.2 says, We are saved according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. The sanctification, the making holy of the Spirit. It's His work. We play a part, and Joe will kind of pick up on that next week. It's not just a one-sided gig. Uh, The reality is we do have an active role in this, but ultimately the agent behind us growing in holiness is the Holy Spirit living in us. Jerry Bridges says it this way, no one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in their life, but just as surely no one will attain without any effort on their own part. God has made it possible for, for us to walk in holiness, but he has given us the responsibility of doing the walking. God has made it possible. 
He's made it possible. The great news about the call to live a holy life is that your holiness is directly linked to the Holy Spirit living in you. We cannot live a holy life apart from the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can do the deep work of the heart. Only He can do the heart transformation that we need to see not just sinful external habits be done with, but to kill lust and envy and strife and apathy and bitterness, the deep things in our heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that work. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about not just good external disciplines, but patience when the flu is in your house for 13 days or you just finished shoveling and there's 20 more centimeters tomorrow. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about those things. Only the Holy Spirit can bring self-control when everything in you wants to rip a strip off the jerk at work, right? Only the Holy Spirit can work those things. External habits, that's not its area, right? The Holy Spirit works in the deep transformation of our heart. Joy in the midst of pain and illness and suffering and loss and despair. Peace when the bank account is low and the bills are high. That's what we need in our heart. We need the Holy Spirit's work in us. So how does He do it? How does the Holy Spirit bring about holiness in our lives? Three things. First, He directs us. He points out what needs to change by convicting us of our sin, pointing us to a better way. Jesus said in John 16 that when the Holy Spirit came, He would convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He points out the jealousy that we wouldn't see on our own uh, when we see our frustration or annoyance With someone, he points to the boiling pot of bitterness on the back burner, right? He shows us what we don't see on our own. When we try to pass off our pity party as just being a humble Christian, he calls it for what it is. He convicts us of our sin. He points us and directs us to a better way. Not only convicting us of our sin... He also speaks to us and leads us to keep us from sin. In our pursuit of holiness, it is the Holy Spirit who is directing the path. He illuminates the Word so that we can understand it. He teaches us and guides us into all truth. Through His Word and His speaking to us, He leads us and directs us in the path of holiness, speaking to us to stay away from a situation, to help this person, bringing Scripture to memory, Uh, when we're faced with some sin. It's the Holy Spirit's directing on our lives that brings about holiness. Our holiness is a Spirit-directed holiness. But more than just uh, a guide pointing out corrections to us, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to make the corrections. More than just pointing out what needs to change, He gives us the power to change. We're not running By our own power, we're running with the Holy Spirit's power in us. Paul prays in Ephesians that their inner being might be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. As we pursue holiness, we have a strength, a power, an energy 
that it goes beyond what we are able to do on our own. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. For this I toil, struggling with all the power or with all the energy that he powerfully works in me. Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Romans 8 says that by the Spirit we are able to put to death the deeds of the body. And Galatians 5 gives us the promise that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There is a power in us by the Holy Spirit that is greater than the power of sin. There is a power in us by the Holy Spirit that is greater than the power of sin. It's the same power that was there bringing about creation, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that fell on the disciples at Pentecost and sparked the birth of the New Testament church is living in us. And sin's power is not greater than that power. And we might say, you don't know what I'm in. You don't know how deep these cords are of this sin. You don't know how deeply entrenched I am in this sin. You don't know the power that it has over me. I don't need to know what the sin is. I don't need to know how long it's been going on. I don't need to know how addicted you feel to it. The Holy Spirit's power is greater. The Holy Spirit's power is greater. That's the promise of the Word of God. We walk in the Spirit. We will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's no chains of sin so thick that the Holy Spirit can't break. There's no roots so deep that the Holy Spirit can't pull it up out of the ground. The Holy Spirit's power is greater. Sin knows no power like the Holy Spirit. Sin knows no power like the Holy Spirit. Our holiness is spirit-powered holiness. It's spirit-directed holiness. It's spirit-powered holiness. And lastly, in our pursuit of holiness, the Holy Spirit shows us the one who ran the race perfectly that we might follow in his steps. He reveals Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, 14, that the Holy Spirit would come to glorify Jesus. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 3, 18, just listen to this, 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit removes the veil so that we can see the glory of Jesus. He points us to Jesus, revealing to us the holy life of Jesus Christ so that we can look to Him. And that's what holiness is, after all. It's conforming, it's being transformed into the image of Jesus. It's not conforming to the world, it's not conforming to church tradition, it's not conforming to a certain era and time when they only used horse-drawn carriages and churned butter. It's conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. It's not conforming to a self-made checklist of morality where we get to pick and choose what makes the list. 
Some of you may have grown up with that idea of holiness, that you just make a list of external habits of morality, and then that's what holiness is, and you feel pretty good when you check all the boxes. The problem is we can be very selective of what we put on the list, right? So I'll put, you know, I'll put the four chapters of the Bible a day, because then I can really kill it at the Sunday school sword drill, uh, but, you know, Nobody in Sunday school really needs to know that I watched that show, so we'll just put that over there, and uh, we'll put no laundry on Sunday, uh, but uh, I really like my money, so we'll put tithing, we won't write that one on the list, and, and then we formulate our own kind of checklist of this is what a holy life looks like, but a holy life is not you conforming to your self-made checklist, it's you being transformed into the image of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit shows us Jesus. He shows us the glory of Jesus. He removes the veil so that in our striving for holiness, we can see, we can lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted in our struggle against sin. We have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood. The Holy Spirit shows us Jesus. We see him as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We see our sin's guilt Removed our sin's debt, canceled on the cross. We see his righteousness given to us. We see the joy that was set before him. We see his endurance so we can endure. He overcame and now we can overcome. As Dave said, we look to the death-conquering Christ. We look to the sin-conquering Christ and we can conquer sin. We see the majesty, Lord of all, and then every throne before him falls. The Holy Spirit shows us the majesty of Jesus Christ. So through his leading, his empowering, his revealing of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us to make us like himself, holy. Our holiness is the Holy Spirit holiness. Angela and the team can make their way back up. But I just want to say this. Why don't we stand? I don't know. You know, as I said, we have two parts, and and next week Joe will kind of pick things up uh, more in our role in this. But don't feel that you need to wait until next week. Right? And I don't know what your idea of holiness was coming in. Uh, maybe you saw it not as, uh, saw it more as, as optional. Maybe you saw it as something that was just a nice bonus and you kind of pushed it to the side and you haven't been striving for holiness at all. Maybe you've been striving for holiness to try to get in God's good grace. Maybe you've been striving for holiness and saying, If I just get this sin conquered, if I can just get over this, then God will approve me, then God will accept me. 
you need to hear this morning God say, I approve you, I accept you, I love you. You have my righteousness. If you've been seeing it as optional, you need to hear God's call on your life that you've been called to be holy and blameless before Him, to walk not in perfection, but in obedience to Him, to be transformed into the image of His Son. Maybe you've been striving for holiness and ignoring the Holy Spirit, and your holiness has just been a checklist, and you've been ignoring the deep things in your heart. You've been ignoring the unforgiveness. You've been ignoring the bitterness. You've been ignoring the apathy. You've been ignoring the greed. You've been ignoring the lust, and you've just been looking at an outward morality checklist and trying your best to check the boxes. The Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your heart this morning. Maybe you've been feeling hopeless with the sin that you feel has just got you and it's pulling you down. You feel like you're in the muck up to your neck. The Holy Spirit can grab you by the top of your head and pull you up out. The power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the power of sin. No matter how long it's been going on, no matter how deeply entrenched it is, He breaks the power of sin and darkness. We sing it a lot of weeks. It's time to believe it. He breaks the power of sin and darkness. He's called you to be holy. It's time to be who you are. Let's pray. Father.